Welcome to today's Lots of Matzah Pizza Podcast. Today we have a great guest with us, Dan Brooks, the son of Herb Brooks. Dan will talk about his hockey career, his hockey playing days at St. Thomas Academy and all over the world, as well as his college uh, career at the University of Denver. We'll talk about his father, obviously, and some great stories of his playing and his dad. It should be a fun show. Hope you enjoy it. Is a burning thing, and it makes a fiery ring bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. Well, good afternoon, Mr. Brooks. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, this is going to be a blast. I'm going to learn a lot, and I've already learned a ton doing some research today, talking to your uh, business partner, Billy Cohn. Uh, I promised Billy today we would make fun of him, so you go first, and then I'll go second. Oh, I've got uh, Billy's been my partner for, uh, oh, gosh, what is it now, 21 years, so I've got a lot of dirt on him. Um, he's a uh, he's a great guy. Um uh, and a great player in his own right too. He was uh, he was uh, he was a great defenseman for Minnesota. I uh, I get a kick out of Billy now because he's coaching his son Jonas, and uh, he's like a and I'm sure you see this every day today working with him. He's like a natural born leader. I mean, this guy just the kids just follow him around the rink. Uh, they they heed on every word he says, and it's really fun to watch him. And he got a chance to coach with Thomas Vanek this year for him to kind of be. Thomas was kind of like the aggressive one, and Billy got to kind of, you know, saunter off in the background and, and kind of just uh, be the sage, and, and where Billy was kind of used to be that way, the, the hyperactive one. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's amazing because Billy tells me stories about how, you know, what is, dude, Thomas had, Thomas had over a thousand games in the NHL. I yes. Think and, uh, you know, that, that Stillwater team, that program this year, they've had some huge games and huge wins, and, you know, Billy tells me how how worked up Thomas gets and how excited and how nervous he gets. Oh yeah. Uh, Thomas was like a little like, kid out there. Like way, way more excited than like almost like some of his own NHL games, but that's youth hockey, you know? It is a, it is a, I always joke, uh, my biggest guests on these podcasts that we do every day are the youth hockey coaches. You know, yeah. the guy, the guy who's the youth hockey coach at, at Edina or Ossie Mabel Grove gets huge, huge listenership because the effect that they have on not just the kids, but the parents and every, uh, and their opponents. And it's great yeah. to hear them talk about their days coaching some of these kids that have now gone on to become legends in college and pro. Absolutely. But I always give Billy Green talk about Billy's career. I was uh, years and years ago. I was actually I used to watch Billy, obviously, but I actually looked at his stats. Yeah, like oh my god, Billy, you actually had like you know you had a ton of assists your you know your I don't know what it was junior or senior year. You had like twenty assists or something. He said, yeah. He said ninety percent of them were D to D to Mike Crowley behind my own net, and Crowley would go coast to coast <laughs> and either score or something up. Well, that's so ironic. He was my last guest on this pizza pod. Was Mike Crowley? So yeah, he was. He was fun. I I, I was a defenseman as as well, and, and I loved my 
I loved uh, my my D partner at Denver, but uh, his name was Rod Summers. Great guy, great player. But let me tell you, he was no Mike Crowley. There weren't a lot of Minnesota kids um, in the, at University of Denver when I was doing my research today. Obviously, I knew oh. Jay. I played against Jay Moore growing up, but there weren't a yep. ton when you went there, were there? Nope, no. Jay and I, and there, uh, uh, there was a, there was another. He's a year older than me, Scott Mathias from Duluth. Yep. Uh, uh, Scott, uh, it was Scott, Jay, and I, and we had a, we had a couple of other kids, but it was, it was pretty much my, my Denver years, eighty uh, six to ninety. They were all, I would say, eighty percent Western Can- uh, Canadian, so mostly BC. Um, a lot of my, a lot of my peers, I, I, I had a big, a big freshman class. I think we had like eight or nine freshmen. Well, they had just class. come off Denver had just come off the NCAA final four the year before. They right? did 86. Correct. And that was the year, that was the year they beat Minnesota 85, 86. They beat Minnesota four times. And I believe it was the only, the first time ever that Denver swept Minnesota at Williams arena. Really? I believe, or the first time in a long time. But uh, all my peers were all uh, BC kids. And actually, I think five of them played for Penticton, yep. which, as you know, yes. now Penticton gets a lot of Minnesota kids. So it's like I knew I knew all about the BCHL back in the you know early to mid 80s or mid to late 80s, um, you know, way before. My, my buddy, right. Yeah. Yeah. And my other good friend was from Sherwood Park, Alberta, which is a suburb of uh, Edmonton. Uh, uh, one of my best friends. uh who came and, and lived with us in the summer. His name was Eric Morano. He was from Calgary. Um, so it was great. They, they were great guys. They're still like my best friends to this day. And uh, uh, we had a blast at Denver, that's for sure. I've met a lot of people in, in this hockey world that are from Western Canada, and it's fun to meet them. They're, they're a lot like Minnesota people, very down to earth, really love are. their they hockey. Really they, yeah. they're very provincial. I mean, if you're from Northern, you know, you love, if you're Northern uh, Alberta, you're a, you're a uh, Oilers fan you're from, from Calgary. You're a Flames fan. I mean, they're very, very loyal to their, their hockey teams. Yeah. Yeah. And one of my buddies, interestingly, um, uh, his name was Derek Mayer. He went and played for the Canadian Olympic team and played in Europe and actually was on that 92 uh, uh, Canadian Olympic team that almost beat yes. Sweden. Yes. So he actually scored the tying goal. And then Forsberg actually wound up winning it on that famous, you know. Yeah, the move. The move, yeah. So he was on the team. But anyways, he was from Rossland, British Columbia. Interestingly, that's where they shot shot the movie Miracle. No way. Rossland, British Columbia. That's on my list today to talk about the shooting of Miracle because it's an oddest, biggest oddity. Your dad died in the same year the movie was released, so I'd. We should just go there now. How much yeah. involvement did your dad have in the actual making of the movie? Uh, quite a bit, quite a bit. And okay. My mom too. My mom too. Uh, uh, you know, she talked at length uh, to the writer and the director. My dad. My dad spent a lot of time with them. Uh, a lot of a lot of the lines and a lot of the dialogue totally came from him. Uh, like that final scene about uh, you know where, where he's talking. My dad's character is talking while they're celebrating when he said, you know, they call these teams dream teams now. And he says, you know, I find that ironic, ironical, you know, yeah, uh, because, you know, they're, but, you know, that he said he, he would always say that, you know, prior to, you know, the movie ever coming out. So so he was very, very much involved. Um, well, I spent a lot of time with the writer, uh, spent a lot of time with Kurt Russell. 
uh, spent a lot of time with the director, was on set uh, up in uh, British Columbia, you know, shooting the movie. Um, so how many, uh, how many days were you there doing that? I, mean, I was wasn't a, up there. Oh. I thought about I thought about going up there to watch him shoot, but uh, I remember I talked to Rob McClanahan in 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 '03, and he's like, "Look, it it's you think it's glamorous, but literally they'll spend like four hours shooting I, like a play coming through the neutral zone." He says it's bore really boring. Yes. So, um, and then Nate Miller, obviously Nate Miller, Billy Cohn's really good friend. Yeah. Uh, played played John Harrington, so it's always you know good to catch up with Nate and talk about them shooting the movie. But no, my dad was very, very, very much involved. Um, and I always tell people that the movie was about eighty five percent accurate. Um, yeah, I thought know. so. I thought it was pretty. I, I grew up, you know, with you same yeah. time watching this team, and you know, you yeah. you know this as well as I do. Is they played so many games right yeah. here in our backyard at the Met Center, yeah. you couldn't Correct. help but know this team backwards and forwards. Who was getting cut? Who was being brought up? Yeah. I'll never forget when Aaron Broughton got brought up, and obviously, yeah. well documented Tim Har being brought up. And I was like, oh, we're gonna lose. I kept thinking we're gonna lose more players to the Gof. The Gophers are gonna lose more players to their team. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because Brad Buto kind of got into a little like like in the media was like kind of there's a little rift between he Brad had to have. And Brad. Yeah, because he didn't want you know Tim Har was you know all American and you know I think he scored you know forty goals that year and my Brad didn't want to lose Tim Har. I and you know obvious obviously uh, you know no one would want to lose a player like that. But you know what I you know getting back to the movie, what I found when I first saw the movie, so just to back up the writer, the writer and the producer were the same, uh, people that, um, wrote and produced the movie, the rookie with Dennis Quaid. Yep. A, a great movie, you know, awesome movie, you know, Disney. So I thought the movie miracle, you know, and Disney did mighty ducks, that whole thing. I yeah. thought the movie miracle was going to be kind of that same feel, which was kind of a happy go lucky. Yes. You know, and, and when I saw it, I was like, holy crap. I couldn't believe the, the heaviness of the movie. I you know, went the, into the movie the thinking the same thing. I'm like, whoa, like the close-ups and how, and how heavy it was. And I actually was, you know, and McClanahan talks about this too. I was actually surprised the movie was really about my dad for the most part. I it, thought it was going to be like, you know, Mark Johnson. It's going to be about Mark Johnson, you know, kind of like Hoosiers, Jimmy Chipwood. Yes. Johnson, you know? Yeah. I, so that that part surprised me how serious and how heavy it was. So you had no that, idea. I think, it, I think that made it even better. So you had no idea. No idea. I well, I just kept kept you know. Oh, it's the rookie. You know, Dennis Quaid. You know, kind of a happy go lucky. Yeah. You know, feel good movie. You know, Mighty Ducks, Disney. And then you go in there, it's like whoa. It had this kind of heavy tone. Uh, but I thought it was perfect because that's, you know, growing up in the late seventies, you know, being in, you know, seventh grade at the time, that, that was the feeling, you know, living in the United States at the time. Yeah. They didn't touch on that, you know, like the mortgage rates and, you know, remember I was hard to get a job. I remember my mom and dad during that time were struggling for work and, and yeah. they were very capable. And, and, you know, that's the part that, you know, after the game, the world kind of changed for America. It really did. It's just kind of things got, it seemed like things, yeah, that it kind of like it pivoted, you know, there, um, you know, so the movie was about 85% accurate. One of the things, you know, 
you know, my dad was named in 1978, so they had two years of the National Sports Festival, um, right. both in Colorado Springs. So I was fortunate enough to go to both. So summer 78 and summer 79. Out in the uh, Springs at the Broadmoor? Out in the Springs. Wow. At the, at You're the, living the, large, aren't you, out at there? At the Air Force Academy, actually. Yeah. Oh, it was. Okay. But still, so what? my dad, my dad, interestingly, I, I hope uh, I'm not uh, giving too much away, but I remember in 78, one of my dad, the guy my dad loved, uh, thought would be a great captain was Jim Warner from uh, Colorado College. Yeah. Warner, Stell- Warner Stallion, but he turned pro. Um, and the guy my dad really wanted on that team, you know, I would say first and foremost was Joey Mullen. Really? And how come did he go pro? Turned pro. Yeah, I'm sure. He was a New York kid, so, wasn't he? He was probably a Hell's Kitchen. Grew up playing on roller skates. Not yeah. roller blade, roller skates. Yeah. So, <laughs> Think uh, about that. Yeah, and then he came out, of, you know, and he went to BC, and then obviously he's a, you know, a, an NHL All-Star. Yeah. Um, so, uh, so it was two years of the National Sports Festival, and uh, but I was, uh, um, I was fortunate. So when my dad posted the team... When the team got together for the first time in 79, late July, um, it was at the Broadmoor Arena. And it was the same rink that Colorado College played, and that's the same rink that you know I played in when we played Colorado College. So the locker rooms were kind of in the back, and he, uh, he got the team together for the very, very first time at the Broadmoor World Arena um, in, I think it was like late July, early August, 79. What do you think when you said 85%, what was maybe a little bit more Hollywood than, than what versus well, that reality? Part, the, that part, the, the part about the, you know, it was two years, you know, of, of the national sports festival. Um, oh, how they merged uh, it into one. You mean? Yeah. They merged it into one. Yep. Um, uh, I thought, uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the skating scene, you know, when he bagged him in, in Norway, yep. that happened, yep. but you know, who do you play for? That was, that was, that was written in. Yes. Uh, but the, the, the skating scene actually happened. Um, I had knew, the, I had uh, known about the skating scene and I was a seventh grader in South Minneapolis. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was legendary. I thought I loved the movie. I thought it was, I, I, the, the only, I guess you'd call it a criticism. I, I, I didn't like the the how ralph cox was cut um i i would have done that a little better yeah that actually happened in madison or uh, in manhattan you know oh really uh, he got cut there yeah, he got cut there and it was very it was um tremendously tremendously hard on my dad i mean like tears literally literally because he was cut yes and it was it was absolutely devastating um, and I thought that scene, it was, they just kind of brushed it over. Um, th- that was, that's just my opinion. Um, uh, were you, were you but, blown- I, but otherwise it was, it was an outstanding movie. Were you blown away as a kid or did you really, I, I, cause I followed this team pretty tightly that how many Minnesota kids that he ended up taking or, yeah, or did you, you expect know, it? Was, he was. You know, and from what I could gather, you know, witnessing this as a kid, I mean, I was very young, but I was kind of old enough to know what yeah. was going on, you know, and then hearing what a lot of the players said uh, during and, you know, specifically after, you know, Billy Baker, you know, tells some great stories, you know, he was not, 
you know, because you played for him for the Gophers and because you were from Minnesota, I mean, he did not, did not play favorites at all. No. He, I mean, it did, that had nothing to do with it. So the fact that he took those guys because they were the best players. I yeah. Mean, the fact that how, how he didn't really play favorites. I mean, you look at Les Auger. Yeah. Les Auger, he, one of his first All-Americans, you know, uh, from St. Paul Johnson, perhaps, perhaps his favorite Minnesota Gopher of all time. Okay, Cut then you got Bob Suter. Bob Suter, who, you know, my dad, you know, his biggest nemesis, the Wisconsin Badgers, right. and Bob Suter. Bob Suter was the the heart and soul of that team, and it was just, you know, killed us. A thorn in their side. Yeah. You know, at the end, hey, my, you know, he he cut Les Oshie and kept Bob Suter. You know. Yeah. And, uh, you know, after the fact, uh, you know, they, my dad and Bob Suter had a very, very special relationship, you know, from that point on. But, you know, when he was playing against the Gophers or, or against Wisconsin, when the Gophers played against Wisconsin, Bob Suter was on the ice. I mean, it was, it was a battle, battle. So here's one of the accuracies, uh, inaccuracies, or, or, or maybe this is a Hollywoodism, is the merging of the Doc character. Cause there wasn't a, kind of like three people in one for the movie. Um, the mur- yeah, it, Doc was, yeah, the Doc, Doc was fr- from, Doc was a, a very huge, huge role. There were other people, Warren Stralow specifically was very, very influential, um, uh, with that team. I would have thought uh, Gary Smith was a big part of that I, too. So I would say, I would say if my dad had his brothers would, 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 you know, had carte blanche to redo the whole thing. Yep. Doc, extremely important part of that team um specifically because he was latvian and spoke you know understood right yeah uh but warren stralo and gary smith were two people that and buddy kessel you know the equipment manager those three were integral um in that team from from what i can recall and i'm sure you know a lot of the players would agree with that as well but you know when you're doing a movie so that's that's part of that you know 85 percent accurate you know, that's one of the things that, you know, I would say wasn't quite real because they omitted those three. And, and you know, they're, you know, they're making a movie. I get it. You know, you, you can't, you can't, you know, do that to no. but, you know, have the movie flow. Right? It's still epic, though. The the picture of after Ruzioni's goal and and Gary yeah. waving the white towel. Like I see I Gary know. in the in this in this in the screen first before I even see your dad. Right? Yeah. Yeah. No. It's uh, yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, yeah. And he was. You know, it was basically my dad and Jim Craig on the bench. And so, as you know, being a coach and all, a lot of the coaches out there listening. I mean, you know, you gotta. To, to run a bench, you know, to open the doors and to time shifts and do all, I mean, you need, you need a lot of people involved. And Gary Smith, I mean, you know, stories of him, like grabbing guys that are going on the ice too early. I've and, heard those. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, well, I think so Gary, Gary, I think Gary grabbed Gary, a player Gary, or two in his day. Oh, oh the opposing yeah, Gary, team, right? Yeah. Gary roomed with my dad too. Uh, Cause they're on the road for eight months. And so I always tell people that, you know, if you want, if you want the best, most, stories about that team gary smith is the guy <laughs> yeah I, I run into gary he's the equipment manager for lee smith so yeah and, and yeah. Pr- people don't know who he is right you know he's kind of yeah. i know who he is i know his sons todd and tony and and 
I just every time I see him, hey, Mr. Smith, how are you doing? And and he's like, oh, how are you? And then literally five minutes later, he's rattling off some story of 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 yesteryear, whether it was with the Olympics or with the Flyers or whatever he did. It's always a, a great story. Yeah, he was. Uh, well, he was in the middle of that brawl in '76. Yes, Minnesota against BU at Denver. That's the craziest story. What do you was, remember about that? A lot of those, yeah, a lot of those Boston guys claim he started the fight. I, that's what I've heard. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's I've yeah. heard that too. Uh, and, and I think they got a bench minor, and Gary basically gets credit for a bench minor in a game where he wasn't even a participant. That's yeah, rare, exactly. right? Exactly. exactly. Or a coach. Yeah. Mike Fiddler was on that team, former North Star. Yes, yes, he was. All right, so let's go through your hockey playing career, and then we'll get, get yeah. to some more stories because there's a bunch of them, and we only have so much amount of time. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. you, I, I, I'm interested because you played. Uh, I think you were a Lake Region guy, weren't you? I was. God, Moundsview, Moundsview. Yeah, Lake Region. That was a great hockey association growing up. And then obviously your dad gets a job, Davos, Switzerland. Do you go to Switzerland yep. and play then? I did. I what did. was that like? So it was uh, um, the rink was you know, Devos Switzerland. The rink was absolutely beautiful, stunning. Uh, good hockey, good hockey. Um, they I played up, so I would have been a peewee, but I played up just because I was you know I was a better player and more developed. Yep. Um, so I and you played, were tall too, by the way. I was a big kid. I was a big kid. So I, I pretty much, I started at the peewee level and just pr- pretty much dominated, just because they were they were good players, but not as good as you know Minnesota youth hockey at the right. Time. So I played, I played with the Bantams. I was in, I think eighth grade, and I think Bantam, the Bantam age was like ninth to tenth grade. Interestingly, so the the, the small world is. The name of Bantams, because they spoke German in in uh, in Davos, they called them they called the Bantam level Norvitsen. Okay. Nino Niederreiter, who was from Kur, C H U R, played in Davos for the Davos Nor Norvitsen. So really, he and I he and I played on the same Bantam team. No way. So I ran into him and we were talking and he couldn't believe that we played on the same because Coor was probably about 45 minutes to an hour, you know, away from DeVos. And uh, so, yeah, Nino and I played on the same team. So did he like bill it there? Or how did he get there? I think he did. I think he did. I think he uh, I think he lived with the family. Um, I'm not quite sure. But um, yeah, yeah, he uh, I ran into him at Herbie's at the restaurant. Uh, actually, Ryan Suter's thousand one thousand game party. Really, uh, I talked to Nino at length about DeVos, and uh, he knew exactly where I lived and the, the street name and everything. Oh, that's pretty so, cool. He he's a wonderful person. So then your dad spends a year there. From I'm talking your hockey playing career. Now you come back. Do you play in New York then too, or did you move your family move back so, to Minneapolis? So thinking here's an interesting. Story. My mom actually reminded me this. So so we moved back because the you know the season ended early in Europe, mm-hmm. and so when I came back talking about lake region so i it would have been my first year bantams yep moundsview didn't take me on the team because i didn't go through you know trials so i wound up playing for monomita for like half the year no way Uh, yeah which had been 80 81 um for monomita uh and then uh the following year i went to st thomas academy so and the reason we went to devos by the way 
Yes. I you know, you no, I don't. I just figured so, he made a lot of money, so dad, right? So my dad, obviously, head coach of the Olympic team, Craig Patrick, the assistant coach, um, the the division the back then, you know, the, the Patrick division, you know, that was yes. his grandfather. Right? Yep, so, I knew that. So Craig, Craig gets, after the 80 Olympic team, or the 80 Olympics, he gets the job to become the general manager of the New York Rangers the following year. So uh, Fred Sherrill, that was also going to be the last year of his contract. Yep. And so um, Craig uh, I see where this is basically going. said, he said, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm going to let him, you know, coach out. And then he and my dad kind of had a, a handshake agreement that my dad was going to coach the following year, which had been 81, 82. Yep. And so basically my dad didn't have anything to do for a year and, Davos, Switzerland, threw a bunch of money at him. He's like, yeah, I'll go live in this beautiful little town with my family, who I really didn't spend a lot of time with the previous two years. Right. Um, it turns out my Craig actually had to fire Shero in the middle of that year. Craig actually coached the Rangers yes, half that season. I remember that. Yeah. And so so then the, then, the, then the following year, we moved to Greenwich, Connecticut. My dad coached the Rangers uh, for 80-81. Was it Started only one season. year that he coached? Uh, in New York, my yeah. dad. Oh, he was, no, he was there for four years. Four years. Okay, all right. Yeah, but you yeah. only stayed there for one year. You went back to St. Paul, right? I stayed there for a year and a half, a year and a half. And when it was time to kind of start high school hockey, yeah. Um, my dad felt that I might have a chance to be a decent player. And, you know, high school hockey in Connecticut was just awful. So I moved back uh, to go to St. Thomas Academy. And actually... I was in 10th grade and I moved back as a ninth grader. So I actually finished, I, I, I was a ninth grader twice. Got it. Um, just because of all the school we missed while we were in New York. Cause they, you know, the Rangers would always get beat by the Islanders. Right. Right. The head of their dynasty. Oh, terrible. And my dad, my dad would just like move us back, you know, and I, I'd miss all that school. So then, then I went to back, uh, as a ninth grader, St. Thomas Academy. So I graduated St. Thomas Academy, kind of an older, an older kid. So did you have? Um, um, you grew up in Shoreview, um, correct? And now, and did you move back to Shoreview, or did you build it, or sort of, or did your mom no, move back and too? My mom, my mom moved back, and then I hate to use the word billet, you know, but you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Live with somebody else. So, so my mom moved back, and then which was really hard on my dad. The, the last two years in New York, my dad lived in a hotel. Oh wow. <laughs> That was tough. That was tough. So how did you uh, not, you're choosing schools that you had, obviously Moundsview, you grew up with, with those kids. Yep. And then a, a natural progression private school would have been to go to Hill Murray, but you end up at St. Thomas Academy. Explain well, that decision. Well, interestingly, interestingly, I was actually enrolled before my dad took the job in New York. I was going to go to SPA. No way. Uh, yeah, because my dad was very close to that school with Mike Foley, one of his assistant coaches, Yep, uh, volunteer assistant coaches. Uh, and he had, you know, he coached a lot of SPA guys. He had Tom Gorens, TJ Gorens. Vanelli. He had Vanelli, and he had uh, Robin Larson. So, uh, and he loved the academics there. Um, so I was actually enrolled at, in SPA. And then I went to, uh, we went to New York. Um, prior to us going to New York, I shadowed, uh, at St. Thomas Academy with a, uh, uh, 
uh, a student by the name of Blake Brandt. My dad knew his dad, Peter Brandt, and I'm still friends with the Brandt family to this day. Yeah. And so uh, that was the spring of 1981. It was just one of those things. That's not corny, but when I visited, I just felt that it was the school for me, without a question. So I, I just I loved the school when I was very young. You know, when you grow up in Moundsview, Roseville, Hillsdale yeah. region. You, I mean, and played hockey, you know, you wanted to go to Hill Murray without a question. Yeah. That was, I wanted to go to Hill Murray, but I, when I, when I visited St. Thomas Academy, I just felt, you know, immediately that there's something special about that school. And, um, I wanted to go there. And, uh, when we moved back, um, that's where I wound up and it was a great decision. So Mike Funk, this is, uh, be Matt Funk's uncle. Uh, it was your coach. Walk through some of his funkisms. What was what was special about him as a coach? Uh, gr- wonderful person. Uh, great family. Uh, his mom Peggy uh, worked in the school. She was she was awesome. She was the one that you'd come in late and she would kind of cover for you. Uh, Mike was a great guy, a great coach. Mike was a goalie, so yep. um, uh, he was very very close to our goaltenders, and we had some great goalies when I was there. Um, Albrecht, like, Albrecht was a like Johnny a, Albrecht, yes. Doc Alfonso, Doc Alfonso prior to that was a great goalie. Johnny Albrecht, our, our, you know, my junior year, his senior year came out of nowhere and had a huge season. Yes. Um, so he worked closely with the goalies. Mike Funk was a, was a great guy. Um, a great coach. Uh, uh, we had great assistants and, you know, St. Thomas Academy back then wasn't a hockey school. So you got to remember the, no. big, you know, Creighton and St. Thomas, St. Thomas was a football school. Creighton was a baseball school. Yep. And then, and then hockey, basketball, Creighton was kind of the better basketball school. And then St. Thomas was always a little bit better hockey school. But my, my group, we just had a, you know, Randy Scarta, Lou Schaefer, Dan Baudette, myself, Pat Fabian, um, you know, Johnny Albrecht, uh, Mark Mackesy. We just kind of had a, a, a really good group of guys. And so like my junior year, we came out of nowhere and yeah. just, we like lost our second game of the year to Kellogg. We were like one and one. Or, or Do we need to explain one. to our readers what, what a Kellogg is at this point? Yeah. Frank B. <laughs> Kellogg. Yeah. That was half of Roseville. Right. But all of a sudden, then we just went on a roll and we won like 15 games in a row. Um, and so, uh, and you guys uh, beat Hill Murray in the city conference twice that year. Beat Hill Murray twice, which is uh, unheard of. It was one of these deals where it was we beat them. Um, where did we beat them in the college? The city games were the, Coliseum, the big played games were played in the Coliseum, and then we played Aldrich. So you'd play when you play these teams twice. You'd play one of them at Aldrich, one of them at the Coliseum, and we beat them early, or not early, but about a quarter of the way through the season. Everybody says it was a total, total fluke. Right, and then we won a bunch more, and all of a sudden, okay, now we got to play Hill Murray again late in the year at Aldrich, and they said, you know, that was for everything, and everybody's out, oh, you know, Hill Murray's going to kill them, and the place is absolutely jammed. We beat Hill three to two again the second time, and then, and then, uh, you know, um, that kind of missed. Then we played you guys in yeah, the played Saint Paul City Southwest Conference. Twin Cities game. We had just beat B. Johnson the year before. And it was a great we, team. That 84 Johnson team was really Oh, cool. it was one of the funnest atmospheres I've ever seen. And, you know, east side, you know, east side St. Paul Howell. kids. Jimmy, Jimmy Howell, Howell, the surgeon. Howell. 
Dewey Wallen, yeah. We could go on. What a team that was. I think Jimmy Howe wound up in Denver for one year with me. I think he did. I think, I mean, I think, yeah. It was the professor. Is that what he was? Was he the professor? I thought he was the. I thought he was the surgeon, but I believe you. Professor's now coming back to me. Professor, I don't know if you knew this, that um, he passed away. Jimmy Howe passed away. Yeah, I did know that. One of the last, Kevin Hartzell and I were at the funeral with Jay Moore, and Hartzell had a great line. He says, Jimmy Howe was the last true rink rat. (laughs) Yeah, true. That is true. he'd, He'd play anywhere, anywhere with anybody for anything. He just loved to play. Yeah, he was a special player, and and Dewey yeah, Wallen. I, I've told the story on this podcast a couple different times. Dewey Wallen was the. I mean, I would pay money to go watch him play. Great player. He would. He had some of the best sellies. He wore eye black underneath his eyes. Yeah, and he yeah, was, he was the. He was so cool, and he yeah. led the. He led the state in scoring, and he was fantastic. He would have won, won Mr. Hockey that year. Yes. Oh. They did, with, not, they did not have Mr. Hockey. In- the, the first Mr. Hockey obviously was that fine, that second year. And yeah. Won it. But while and they had other, you know, Tom Leibel was their other winger. They had some great defensemen. They had a really good goalie. Um, so yeah, that '84 team that you played against was good. And then we then we played you guys, and it was not even close. Let's well, just for the record, that know, game was so not even dad, close. Yeah, my dad was just fired from New York, so he just got back in town. Yeah, and uh, Chorsky, my dad, all his NHL buddies or excuse me, all his NHL scouting buddies, right? Yeah. Everybody saw Chorsky play. So they, they saw that Southwest team play a dozen times all year. At so least. Grillo, I remember Grillo was over at our house prior to that game. He said, here's how you beat Southwest. And he, he, you guys had a, a special, like, power play breakout that you were yep. in. Yeah. He said, and he said, you got to take the body on Chorsky and Jeff Miller. I remember Scott and I, we just – I mean, that was our, we just, we just went after Chork and we just, we just, you know, you know. We, yeah. Jeff Miller was, is kind of the uh, unsung hero of the, out of this whole, out of that whole group. Cause he was such a fantastic player and gets absolutely no recognition for what a, you know. Great it, it, skater. Great oh. skater. He was kind of like a Scott Niedermeyer type defenseman. Yeah, we had, I'll never forget, we would play park hockey, pond hockey. You know, we played street hockey. We played every kind of hockey you can imagine back then. And he would, when he would get the tennis ball or he'd get the puck, it was like, okay, well, when are you going to give it back? Because it's just not fair what a great puck handler he was. And Yeah, he was a good player. But, but anyways, you just, the, the thing is, you, you just got to take the body on Chorsky. I mean, yeah. that's what we did. We just, we just ran him. <laughs> we ran well, him. I'll never forget the locker room. Uh, I, was your, did your dad give the speech before the game? Because because we're sitting in the other room, and I'm thinking, I'm hearing just this huge screaming next door. You know, I don't know. I don't know. It was a big. It was again. It was a big thing for St. Thomas Academy hockey. Yeah, um, yeah. I remember uh, standing outside that was, locker room, uh, going, "Man, these guys are ready to go." And it was yeah, never yeah. close. It was never it was, close. It was good. It was good. So yeah. So that was St. Thomas Academy, and then uh, and then I was at Denver from '86 to uh, to '90. And my dad had co- interesting about my group was was John Harrington there? John was the assistant coach. So interesting, we had a co- so that class of '86 with George Palawa. You know, yes. The story of George. So yes. We have a special a special story there. Is Team Minnesota? My dad coached Team Minnesota, was basically an all star team. Was this where you play like Massachusetts and Wisconsin Correct. and Michigan and those guys? Yeah. Correct. Played against Brian Leach, Jeff Brown. 
uh, Kit Miller, all these guys. So it was Kit Miller. He played at Michigan uh, State, right? I uh, played at Michigan State. Correct. Yep, so it was okay. me and Scarda, Tom Sagasor, Scott Bloom, you know George Palawa, Steve Rollick, Tom Quinlan, Robbie Stauber was our goalie. Pitlick, Vasky, the defenseman. Wow. Um, and so we had a special, special team that won it all. And uh, and then very, very tragically, uh, late that summer, you know, George Palawa, you know, died passed away. The, oh my God. So, so to think about that team, that special team with all those great players, our two stars, my father and George Palawa, both died in car exits. Just yeah, crazy. that's crazy. sad. Very sad. Yeah, George, uh, George was a special player. That's for sure. All right, uh, let's move on. You, you've you've talked yeah. about a couple a couple your dad stories here. Here's a couple one. He, I want to get your you know what was in the eyes of a eight year old kid. What was the eyes of a twelve year old kid? You know, kind of around your dad, the, the legend your dad. But I got to think at some point you were in the locker room at the U uh, when your dad was coaching. Did you ever get yeah. to go on there during the games? Yeah, I'd sneak down there. I would sneak down there. Um... They would let me in. I remember some of my earliest memories. I remember, I remember I'd be in there with Ricky Stralo because you know Warren Stralo was the, the yep. goalie coach. Rick Rick was a year older than me. We'd sneak down there. We'd always push. We'd push as as you know push our our uh, level of welcomeness the most we can. Yeah, so for sure. Until we got kicked out. I remember Joey Micheletti, you know, captain of '77 team. He'd like he'd look over at us and he'd be like, "Hey guys," he says, "You know." You keep screwing around, you're gonna. I'm gonna throw you out of here, you know. And then, yep. And then my dad would like kick us out. Did you ever get? Did Did you ever? Was he ever like laying into the team and look out of a corner of his eye and see you and toss you out of there? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'd sneak in there, and uh, the big the big thing back then was you as little kids, you wanted to try to get sticks. Yeah. Try to get. Get, get these players to give you sticks or even the big find run around the old Williams arena at the time was to find like a broken stick in the shaft, perfect in the shaft. Cause you, and then you could just cut it off, right? Knee, knee hockey sticks. Right. And so, uh, yeah. So, so you go down the locker room and, and, um, you know, it's interesting. So the old Williams arena down in the bowels of the building, and I know a lot of your listeners know this. I've been there. The the gopher locker room, and then about 10 feet down, you have the training room that the gopher hockey and the gopher basketball team would share. And then what they would do is they'd open up the gopher basketball uh, locker room for my dad and his staff to talk to the press. Really? So you'd go in there and you'd have, you know, John Gilbert and Greg Wong and um, Gary Olson, all the, all the reporters would would meet the coaches in the old gopher locker room at williams arena so you know still the same locker room so i'd i'd sneak in there and that would cool and then you then you could kind of walk up you know after the gopher hockey games because obviously there wasn't anything happening in the basketball you could walk up and we kind of like screw around on the court yeah you know? um and then uh Getting around that place was fascinating. We we would go there. I think my brother played uh, against. He played at Saint Olaf, and he played against the JV there. And we would go in the building, you know, even during a JV game, and just kind of try to make our way around the building any possible way yeah. we could. Well, the, the the hisses, the sounds, you know, the hisses of like all the the you know the radiators, the steam the, heating, the, yeah, crazy the smell. The smell, you know. I remember once at Ricky Stralo and I, we would. 
like, you know, stuff would fall from like the, the bleachers and then it would like catch in the pipes, whatever. I remember Rick and I, like in 1977, there was like a, like a cup that like fell, you know, I believe it. and it like would, it was like on one of these pipes and it was there for like five years. And every time we'd go back for a new season, we'd like, ah, that cup is still up there. <laughs> it's, it was amazing. I, uh, how, how warm it was in there too. It was just a, it was a steam bath playing in that building. Yeah. My dad sometimes would, uh, yeah, I remember he always fighting with the maintenance because the the end of the arena that that with the uh, slanted roof, the other side with the windows, he would try to get them to open the windows to make it cooler. Yeah, and they didn't want to do it because there's a lot of work that he'd like be raising hell to try to get him to open the windows. Yeah, it's still happening today. The fight between the coaching staff and the maintenance people at Mariucci. Oh, yeah. I, I can tell you that from personal experience. I run a camp down there, and it's like, can we get this? No. I can't do that. Yeah. I'm like, why? Yeah. <laughs> you know, simple requests. Like, and I'm like, I could only imagine Herb Brooks doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So after college, you play, you play, you play college hockey. Um, you've coached yep. too. I think you had, you've, you coached at, at Blake. You coached at Benilde. Uh, walk yep. through your experience. You know, your dad being a coach. Walk your experience actually being a, a hockey coach yourself. So actually my first, so I, I, you know, 86 and 90 played for, uh, played for Denver, uh, graduated, came back, uh, got a job here in town. Wait, wait, uh, wait, one second. Talk about your coach, your college coach, uh, Backstrom, Ralph Backstrom, Backstrom, right? Yeah. So Ralph, Ralph, uh, what kind of influence was that? Cause you'd seen your dad coach college. So now you got a college coach. What was he like compared to your dad? Uh, very different. Um, Ralph played, Ralph won five Stanley cups for the Montreal Canadians, mm-hmm. uh, was the NHL rookie of the year in 1958. And so interestingly, he was third line center for Montreal for like eight, nine years, um, 10 years. The first line center when he started was rocket Richard. The second line center was John Belleville. And then Ralph was number three. So talk about playing behind three great players. Yeah, wow. So Ralph was Ralph was old school, not necessarily in a bad way. He was um, extremely, extremely competitive, extremely competitive, and really wanted to win. Um, practices were. I, I don't think practices were a big uh, thing for him. John Harrington, on the other hand, offered that balance of, you know, running really hard practices and serious practices where Ralph was just like, Hey, let's just go, let's go get loose and get ready for the weekend. You know, really? Um, Ralph is a great guy. You know, he was, he was, uh, uh, I mean, he was a legend, especially to my, to my Canadian friends. I mean, the stories he would tell, I mean, you know, playing with, you know, Gory Howe, right. Bobby Hill. So all of these guys would come into town to Denver and they'd like go have lunch with Ralph and then Ralph would bring him in our locker room before practice. So it's like two o'clock in the afternoon and Ralph would come in with Gory Howe and walk us, walk him around the locker room, introducing us, you know, that's amazing. Boom, boom, Jeffrey on, you know, those two go to lunch and he comes in the, you know, the, the locker room. He's like, Hey Danny, say hi to boom, boom. I'm like, Oh my God, this is unreal. So, uh, Ralph was great. Ron Graham was our assistant coach. He ran, you know, he was a goalie, all American goalie there. Uh, Ron wound up being the general or excuse me, the athletic director at Denver just retired last year. Great guy. Um, but John was kind of the, 
alter ego for Ralph with the the uh, the discipline and the tough practices. Um, so it was a good comp- compliment. Uh, okay. And Ralph's still in Denver. You know, he's a lot of my buddies are still there, and he's 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 doing great. That's great. Uh, yeah. Okay, so you you coached at at Blake, uh, and, and that was boys, right? Well, actually, my first coaching job. Oh, so gotta hear this. One, how about this? So Buzzy Schneider is coaching his son Billy Moundsview A Squirts uh, for two years. Billy wound up playing Buzzy in the movie Miracle. So Buzzy and I coached the Moundsview A Squirts in the 90-91 season and the 91-92 season. And Billy Billy Schneider was our star player. No way. Yeah. Yeah, this just keeps getting better. All right. And then, uh, so what was yeah, that so, like? So what was it, was it like? Great. It was well, it just, you know, coaching coaching kids was awesome. We had a we had great teams and we uh uh Billy Billy was a great player. Coaching with Buzzy was awesome. Um uh so I coached there, Moundsview for 2 years and then in 96, 97, my good friend Dean Williamson asked me if I wanted to join him uh, on the Blake staff with uh, Jeff Lindquist. Okay. And that was, that was a blast. That, so, we had a great so team. Was, and, Link, uh, was Link the head coach or was, or was Dino the head Link, coach? Link, Link, Jeff Lindquist was the head coach. Dino was the assistant. The world we gets smaller. You know that, right? Yeah. That's my son's high school coach at Jefferson. So. Okay. Yeah. Jeff, <laughs> Jeff's a great guy. We had great, and, and the big rivalry was Blake Breck. Breck, Breck had John Marouk was, yep. was the big stud and uh, they wound up beating us to go to the, uh, to the state tournament um, in the section final at parade, you know, that big game, big game. Yeah. 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 So that was fun. You know, coaching there was a blast. It's just, uh, 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 it was only one year. And then, and then I got into coaching Minneapolis storm girls because my daughter played hockey. So what's your daughter, which daughter you have two daughters, right? Yeah, my youngest daughter uh, played hockey, and I coached the the Storm girls. Uh, and we had some great teams. We had some great players. So uh, U twelve, uh, and then U, oh, they actually called it fourteen at the time. Yep. But uh, yeah, uh, and then and then I coached the Benil JV girls for two years. Uh, Dave Herbst was the varsity coach. Uh, Dave and uh, uh, Gino Peluso. Uh, he's yeah, he's still there. He's still there. I think he's on the boys' side. Yes, he is. He is. Yep. Gino's great. Dave Herbst is great. We had a great, great program. And I love coaching the JV girls. We had, we had some good teams. And um, yeah, so that, and that was the last time I coached JV, uh, JV girls at Benilde. And when did your daughter graduate from Benilde? She graduated last year. Okay. Um, Did not, she uh, she actually wound up quitting hockey after her sophomore year. And, and uh, I talked to uh, Sean Podine about maybe joining Sean's uh, staff, but just felt that, you know, um, my daughter may, you know, feel uh, feel like she'd really miss hockey if I'm coaching and she's not playing. So I just said, That's I, I, might, a good decision. I might get back into youth, youth coaching again. It's fun. Uh, yeah, you could probably put together a nice little team in your neighborhood over by Lake of the Isles and, yeah, and relive yeah. the glory days that Tom yeah. Chorsky and I did growing up there. It's a great place to skate. Did you? You've been down there probably several oh, yeah. times. It's just, it's, it's as wonderful. good as you're gonna get, right? It's wonderful. Yeah, the park board does a great job maintaining the ice. It's 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 a blast. 
Um, all right, so let's walk through some other uh, Herb Brooks moments uh, before we get to the Herb Brooks Foundation. I want to cap it off there. So y- y- some of the obvious ones, let's go, you know, I talked about being a kid and the, the Gophers in the locker rooms, but obviously being at the Olympics, where were you? I'm just going to kind of throw a few uh, moments for you. Uh, where were you when they, uh, like, during, like, um, uh, the the Czechoslovakian game, right? That that's to me that's kind of the turning point. You kind of you know eyebrows raised when they tie Sweden, yep. but then when they beat the Czechs, that was kind of where the country I think it felt like the rest of the country started to kind of embrace this team. Yeah, they they yeah exactly because the, the Sweden the Sweden game was was a hat was you know before, it was before the opening ceremonies. Correct. It was a morning game, and there's probably it would be it's like twenty five percent full. No one was at the game. Uh, was it played game, in? Well, there was two rinks, right? Was it played in the smaller rink? No, it was played in the big rink. Okay, all right. Rink, but no one was there. I remember the the the. Here's a funny story that uh, you and your listeners would probably appreciate. So I'm at the Czech game, and our neighbor from Shoreview was there, and so I was a big football player as a kid too, and I loved the Houston Oilers. Yeah, I love Bum Phillips. I love Dan Pastorini I, and obviously Earl Campbell. Yep. So I'll get, and I was a running back and loved Earl Campbell, my favorite football player. So funny story, long story short, Art Hag, our neighbor who's in Lake Placid, comes up to me before the game. And he said, Danny, you will not believe this, but Earl Campbell <laughs> is in the arena. And I go, you've got <laughs> to be kidding me. So he goes, he takes me down there. Earl Campbell is sitting at the, at the, on the end seat. And so you walk down the stairs and he's at the end and I'm looking over his shoulder and I look down his legs were the size of tree trunks, bust. His jeans were like busting. Right. Yep. And this was the height of his career. This was his, you know, he was like yes. you know, NFL MVP. He's got this big, huge cowboy hat on. And probably right? a big dip in too. Right. Well, he, he had a massive dip in. And so Art Hag goes, Earl, Earl, this is coach Brooks's son. He's a huge fan of yours. Can we get an autograph? And the only thing I had was my ticket stub. So no I way. To him, I handed to him. Art Hag has a pen. On the back of the ticket stub, he signs it. He turns around and looks at me with a big dip and huge dip. He looks at me. He says, tell your daddy I said good luck. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like speechless. I still have the ticket stub to this day. I've seen you tweet ticket stubs and those kinds yeah, of things. That yeah. memorabilia so anyway, has got to be so fun. You know, I know you want to hear about the hockey part of it, but that's my recollection of the uh, of the uh, Czechoslovakian game. game. Yeah, yeah. And oh. then they, they blew them away. They blew them like away. Seven to three, team, wasn't it? That Czech team was unreal. You know, they had the Stastny brothers. Yeah. They just, they just blew them away. And from that point on, you're right. And, and the, 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 the rink was packed. It was packed. It was buzzing. It was vibrant. And from that point on, it was like, holy shit, something's happening here. Yeah. It, it was it just it felt like, wow. It, you know, like, oh, they got lucky to get a tie. Really got lucky to tie against Sweden and then, and then having the, you know, the, the Czech blowout. You know, like, there were some tenuous moments with like Norway and West Germany, weren't there? It was a little bit yeah. closer than, than you like, yeah. right? Yeah, and the, yeah, the Germans, they were behind the Germans. The West Germans were good. They were behind the Germans. My dad was a nervous wreck because in 76, the 76 team had a chance to do something in that tournament but got, got, upset, got yes. upset by West Germany. And he's just like, oh, shit, here comes the Germans. We're going to, you know, don't blow it. And they were down. 
Yeah. And uh, they came back. But the Sweden game, so you, you know who the goalie was for Team Sweden? Pelly? Was it Pelly Lindgren? Pelly Lindbergh. Lindbergh? Yeah, yeah. Who died? Who died? Who died in a car accident? Philadelphia <laughs> Flyer goalie. There's going to be a lot of car accident deaths here uh, on this show by the end, right? Yeah, he. Uh, yeah, but Pelly Lindbergh was their goalie, and uh, they had some great players. Um, but yeah, they beat the they beat the uh, you know they beat the the West Germans, and then obviously drew the Soviets. And interesting, I don't know if you've heard this, but one of the things about the Soviet game, you know, it was a five o'clock game and that was on the, the books for probably what a year prior. Cause that's, you know, yep. the schedule. Hang on. Let me stop you for a second here. Yep. I, I got to understand the metal formula. There was a different metal formula then than there is in the traditional Olympics today. Right. Can you, yeah. do you remember, yeah. can you explain that a little bit? Like this was no. not, a, it was just like a metal round. Like they took the top four and then they, did some kind of, it was almost like WCHA total goals kind of thing. Do you remember that? It was, it was round robin. So what they did is they took the top two from each, each pool. division, yep. each pool. Okay. And I think you had, you got credit for points, like two points for, like if you went two and oh, like you would have won. Or whatever, right. Something like that. Well, but, but I think. And then they, I don't know if they seeded. So, um, so it was the, uh, it was the Swedes and the U S and then it was the Finns, Finns and, the, and the Russians. Yeah. 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 And, but I think because the U S, um, against their, I don't, I don't, I don't know if they had, because they had a tie in there, if they had, they it had to was win something, something weird. There was, there was something, it wasn't as clean as it is today. There, here's no, the semifinals no, no. and there's the, the, the bronze game. That's all I really wanted to make clear out of this. Yeah, it was, it was weird. Well, it was weird. Yeah, well, here's, here's, here's something a lot of people don't realize. So the game, the, the Finn game Sunday morning, um, the, there was another game too. So remember now Sweden the, and Russia, USSR, the Russians, the Russians beat the Swedes. Like, pumped them i know yeah so you knew that too so so uh go back to you were saying five o'clock five o'clock that five o'clock soviet union game so get this so So four hang on now that's four o'clock central four o'clock central five o'clock eastern abc went to the soviet union and offered them like 250 grand to move the game prime time and they turned them down really yeah well why didn't they, again, this is, this is you and I are going to give our younger listeners a history lesson here. Yeah. Obviously, they should know by now this game was not broadcast on live TV. Everyone should know yeah. that, right? Yeah. But yeah. why wasn't it? They didn't, the, the Olympics was only carried prime time during the, I, week, during the weekday? Who, I have no idea. But it was on the radio live. So you oh, yeah, I, I know that. I, I, yeah, my, my story is pretty easy. I was, I was playing in a hockey yeah. game. At Augsburg Arena, Tom Chorsky, between the second and third period I come off the ice, says, we just beat the Soviets. Wow. I couldn't even concentrate the rest of the game. I went back yeah. out for the third period. I don't even know what happened. It didn't yeah. matter, right? Yeah. No, there's so many stories about total strangers, you know, like cars pulled off the side of the road <laughs> listening to the, the game. And then, you know, total strangers get out of their car and start hugging yes! each other. And then get in their car and drive away. All right. So, <laughs> so where were you? How did it, how did it go down for you? So they didn't have a ticket. I didn't have a ticket. And obviously, they, you know, it's the hardest ticket in the world to get. So they stuck this, you somewhere, didn't they? Well, exactly. So, so they had this platform 
Um, so it was like. Well, so first of all, how'd you get into the building? You must have snuck in with your dad to the I, I had kind of thing. I had credentials. Okay. Um, Cause my dad winged it. Like I could like somehow get credentials to like work there and help mm-hmm. whatever. So they had this like, so in the corner of the building, there was a platform. It was right above the catch glove of Tradiac in the first and the third period. There's like a platform. And I don't know if it was there for storage or to use it for cameras. So think about just a triangle piece of wood that was like wedged in the corner. And there was probably like 50 people. There's a railing there. And I was in the corner of this little triangle platform right above the, the catch glove of the goalie. Couldn't move. I mean, I, I couldn't even go to the bat. You couldn't even leave because you, you wouldn't have your spot. Right. Can't remember how we got up there if we just, there were stairs or whatever, but it was me and John, or excuse me, Jimmy Jasinski, who was the son of the general manager of the team. He was like 10 years old. I was, you know, 10, 12, 13. And so I saw, I was across from the, the bench right above the catch club. So I saw all the big goals because all the goals were scored on that same end. side. Yeah. Same side. So we're wait now. Is it the same side? What, what the end of the second? Where there was a goofy goal. No, the goofy goal is at the end of the first period. Mark Johnson yeah, with like yeah, no time to, on the clock. It was two to two after two after one. After one. Okay, so you saw the crazy goal. I saw the crazy goal, and I remember the referee because what it happened. It was one second left, but the actual clock went to zero. Yeah, and I remember the fin. The, the ref was a fin. Yes. And so I'm like, wait a minute. It was one second. Right. And I remember looking down, seeing my dad and the ref, the Finnish ref was kind of in the corner. Yeah. They were, they were kind of communicating. My dad was looking at a pointing and the ref was kind of giving my dad thumbs up. Like, yeah, it's a good goal. Don't worry about it. It was a good goal. They replayed it. Yeah. I remember yeah. even on the yeah. replay, they replayed. It. I'm like, yeah. Cause I did last thing I want to do is win a game and have it be asterisks next put, put next to it. Correct. Right. Correct. Correct. No, it was a good goal. So after the game, um, it's complete bedlam. You've probably never seen bedlam like that before in your life, right? Correct. Correct. Where, where do you go? Like like a normal game, a normal game. You're like looking for your mom, right? Now what are you doing? So my mom was down in the lobby. No cell phone, right? No cell phone. No cell phone. Saw my mom. My mom was just with, with, with the other person with the player's parents. Yep. Uh, she was, you know, she was good friends with the Strobles and, you know, the Bakers and whatnot. And they were, I mean, it was just absolutely bedlam that night. Didn't see my dad after the game. Did see him, did see him Saturday night. We had dinner and I actually tweeted a picture of that. It was so, classic by the way. So he was, he was a nervous wreck. We finally had to spend some time with him. Um, downtown Lake Placid. Have you been to downtown Lake Placid? No, I've never been there. I would love yeah. to go. So it's just wall to wall people on main street. We were like in this little bistro against the window. So it was like all fogged up and he was a nervous wreck. And, um, and the next day was, uh, you know, the next morning was the, uh, the Finn game. And then I saw him after that game in the, in one of the locker rooms, not the U S locker room. They had a, they had a, a locker room where they brought in, you know, Jim Lampley and all the, all the media. I don't know whose locker room it was. Um, one of the teams that got eliminated. 
I watched a documentary on one of the two Russian. There's two Russian documentaries at the same time. Do you know what I'm yeah. speaking of? Yeah. And they brought Fatisov back there yeah. to Lake Placid. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. It was creepy. It was like, wow. You know, they well, were reliving Fetisov it. Fatisov became very good friends. And Fatisov was, what, 19 years old? Yes. Uh, and they were very good friends. And Fatisov was a huge huge critic of the Soviet Union. So you actually had kind of loyal Soviets like Kasatonov, yep. another great defensive. He was kind of a loyal Soviet, but Fetisov and like Helmut Balderas, a lot of these guys were, you know, totally, totally against the, the, the whole, you know, the government and whatnot. So my dad and Fetisov became very, very good friends. And everybody that I had talked to, the Russian players, the Soviet players really feel the reason they lost that game was because they pulled Tradiac. Right. That's what, that's how they felt. And I, I don't think they were too keen on the coaching job that ticking off. Right. I know, mean, it, it almost felt like, and I didn't watch the game live. I'm listening to it on the radio and you can't really, you know, you're 12 and you're listening to the radio. I got a game to get ready for. I, I'm not sure it was even that big a deal that Trechia came out. It wasn't much in the broadcast, right? No. And, you know, they didn't pull the goalie in the play. It was between periods. Yeah, yeah. Well, they, they didn't, like, go to an extra skater with a minute left. No, oh, that was that, that we could make an entire documentary on I that. Mean, which that is, was, like, unreal. And I think they – and a lot of those players – you, you, you've heard the same thing. A lot of them felt up until that last minute that they were going to win the game. Oh, for sure they did. Oh, we're still going to score. This is this team's a joke, right? Yeah, totally. They, they kind of got still some of the the imagery I have, and you're you're probably jumping up and down. You know, the imagery I still remember are the are the the players, the the Soviet players standing on the red line with yeah. their sticks yeah. on the on their chin, staring at these yeah. kids celebrating. It was like yeah. that's an image you cannot erase from your brain. Yeah, no, you know? right. Yeah, that that's huge. And remember, it was still the Soviets were probably like, okay, this team will probably lose against the Finns and we'll blow out the Swedes and win the gold. So they probably, you know, that's what they were thinking. But another thing, here's the here's one thing the movie didn't really portray because it, it didn't really, it really it really didn't play into the narrative of the movie. My dad felt that that Soviet team was extremely, extremely overconfident. Isn't that strange? I, oh, for he sure felt, they were. He felt he he saw he he just saw their manners and he said these guys are these guys are kind of calling it in. And he's like, you know, he felt that they were cocky, they were overconfident, and that's the message he sent to his team. He's like, look, these guys are just here to trade for some Levi jeans, some Nikes, drink Coca Cola, and take their medal and go home. He felt they were they were cutting corners and they weren't hungry. Yeah, um, and so. You know, um, you know, maybe that Soviet team really wasn't playing that well how, for how good they were. They're still human and didn't really, you know. Um, but, you know, that team was and a lot of those Soviet players will say two weeks prior that game against Madison Square Garden, that U.S. team was completely, completely different. <laughs> that That's how that's how good they were that night. Yeah. Yeah, I believe it. 
I believe it. Um, so let's switch gears here. Believe it or not, Dan, we're already at an hour, uh, and yeah, I, I no, could go right. on for another hour. These are some yeah, great stories. Good. I got a, a good story I wanted to weave in here, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about the Herb Brooks Foundation. Yep. How did it start? It, did it start after your dad passed away? Well, interesting story. So I kind of the the, the segue was. So that, that, that team Minnesota that I talked about with George yes. Palawa and yeah. Sagasaur and Scott Bloom and whatnot. So my dad and uh, a guy by the name of Dave Knobloch, Nobby. I know Nobby. I know Nobby. I've played many so rounds of golf with and, Nobby. Yeah, Nobby's the best. So my dad and Nobby and Craig Sarner. I still see Nobby and, and Blatherwick together at games. It, it yep. warms my heart. It's usually They're, near the St. Louis Park, you know, yep. Blake kind of – you know, circle, Vanilla, yeah. Yeah, yep. yeah. So they're great, great guys. So Nobby and my dad, they actually started a foundation called the, the foundation for athletic development to raise money for our team to travel, to go out East, to go to Chicago, to go to Wisconsin, to play, uh, for two months. So they started this foundation and Wayne Ferris and Nobby since then, they kept the foundation going, you know, they kept, you know, they kept minutes and they just had meetings when they really didn't do anything. Then when my dad died, Wayne Ferris called me and said, Hey, we've got this foundation. You just want to take it over. And so we just, you know, we renamed it the Herb Brooks foundation. And so its uh, original purpose, what was its original purpose? Its original purpose was to raise money to, you know, help us high school kids play. Um, and then, and then, then we, my, my sister and I, with some others, you know, we, we, you know, we, we changed the mission. Um, and, uh, uh, but the actual legal document, the legal entity has been in place since 1986. Really? That's fascinating. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? So the Herbrooks foundation and my dad was very much involved with the national sports center. Very, very good friends with Paul Erickson, the longtime director of the national sports center, um, helping build that. And my dad was actually very involved in many of his years in between hockey with inner city hockey in St. Paul called the Mariucci inner city hockey program. Okay. So it's basically, can we, can we bring hockey to the inner city communities of Minneapolis and St. Paul, be involved with the national sports center, bring kids there, um, and help grow the game, that way and that's what we've been doing so yeah my dad and my dad and one of his very very good friends kyle peterson who played for john mariucci he and my dad literally in kind of the, the saint paul high or uh, central area mm-hmm. were out teaching kids how to play hockey tying skates um and you know that's kind of what we're doing you know bringing bringing the game to uh kids that never would have uh, seen it before so that is that is its actual purpose is the, for the Herb Brooks Foundation. Yeah, grow, grow the game. Uh, we've got we, programs in the fall, programs in the winter, programs in the uh, uh, in the spring, um, where we go uh, to these communities. Um, we've got you know dozens and dozens of pairs of skates and gloves and helmets, and uh, uh, we'll do it uh, indoors uh, with uh, you know. Uh, Floor hockey, and then we go to the, the various parks in Minnesota, um, or excuse me, Minneapolis, and uh, get them on the ice and, and, and teach them the game. That's um, pretty cool. That's yeah, it's great. Cool. And then we bring them, to, you know, we, we do a lot of things up at the National, bring these kids to the National Sports Center and, you know, teach them the science of hockey and, you know, how, how, does, how, does, you know, how does our rink work? How does the Zamboni work? It's great. 
All right. And how can someone learn about it? Is it the Herb Brooks Foundation, like, .com maybe? Yep. That's, get in touch that's with them. It. And then we got the Herb Brooks Award at the state tournament. We're going to get to that in just a second. Yeah. So, yeah. so before we get to that, I wanted to uh, – there was a – you guys have an annual banquet, an annual golf tournament. Uh, can yep. someone can someone sign up and play in that golf yep. tournament? What, yeah, would, what, would it, what would it look like? It would be like a day at a nice golf course and uh, a chance to maybe meet some people that uh, – yeah. In the hockey community, I'm guessing it's a big hockey community. It's uh, huge. It's round huge. up, it's, right? It's, it's it's yeah, it's great. It's it's at the National Sports Center. They have their own golf course. Victory Links, um, probably. Victory Links, great course. Yep. This year, it's the and it is going to be on this year because it's the Monday after the 3M Championship. Nice, nice. And the 3M Championship is a go. Yeah. So that's good. So that means we're a go. Uh, it's a celebrity golf tournament, so there'll be a lot of hockey people there. Um, there's a, you know, a, a small banquet uh, afterwards and we kind of give a state of the union of the foundation and, you know, introduce a lot of key people. And we always induct, there's something you'd have an interest in too, Tony. We induct someone into the, Her, we have a Herb Brooks Foundation Youth Hockey Hall of Fame. Wow. I would love so to be involved last, in that. Yeah. The last 12 years, we induct a person that has given a lot to youth hockey in Minnesota. Can you name uh, someone off the top of your head who's one of them, just for our for our listeners? Yeah. Chuck Grillo uh, was one winner. Yeah. Um, uh, Gringo was one winner. Uh, the Brote family. Oh, yeah. Uh, Legendary. W- w- Winnie and... Uh, uh, Jack, Winnie, Jack. All yeah, of them. Yeah. Um, uh, Bill Butters was a, re- a re- recipient one year for yep. all he's done uh, uh, there. Uh, we had... Uh, uh, our, the first one we had a gentleman. Uh, do, you, do you remember who Wes Barrett was from the east side of St. Paul? Yep. Yep. Passed passed away on the ice. Yes. Uh, before helmets, yeah. So he ran the the east side midget program forever. We had Moose Moose Younghands. Yep. You know Moose. Yes. Uh, to name a few, even though we try to steer away from the high school side, just because they have their own deal. But, yeah, they got plenty of love, right? But what Moose has done. Moose doesn't get enough love. I don't care if he, you know, part of, I mean, he's, he's an absolute saint in what he's done, uh, you know, for hockey on the east side of St. Paul. So, um, so it's a, it's a great thing. We honor someone uh, along those lines, Bobby Suter. We, we honored Bob Suter for all, what he's done in uh, uh, hockey in, in Madison. In Madison. The, only, the only time we went outside of Minnesota, but. Well-deserved uh, by the way. Well Very deserved. well-deserved. Yeah. yeah. So you can go to the foundation. Uh, website and there's going to be information about golf here shortly and uh, it's a great great event on a so, great course you see a lot of hockey people so you mentioned uh when you were playing for ralph backstrom gordy Howe, bobby hall would would come in and visit you actually yep. had those guys at one of your events yeah. how, how do you pull i mean obviously yeah i'm dan brooks but how do you get that pull that off because these are legends of the game well interesting so bobby hall the day my father passed away, um, my dad was with Bobby Hull that morning. And really? Bobby, Bobby, Bobby may be one of the last people my dad actually talked to. Wow. Because he was up in uh, Giants Ridge with Brett playing okay. in that event. And uh, uh, those two were together, um, you know, the day that, that my father passed away. So, um so uh, we had the Gordy Howe and Bobby Hall at one of our one of our galas. That was I think oh six I think it was. But now we're just concentrating on golf, and it's it's become a you know become a big deal. 
um, a lot of a lot of hockey people are there, and, and you know the hockey community. It's it's outstanding. We'll we'll get you there. We'll get you. Oh, there I will. This year. I, I almost made it last year. I, I know this year I'll make we'll put it. You for with, sure. We'll put you with Billy Cohn and Vanek. <laughs> I would. Uh, that that would be a blast. Actually, that would Thomas be. Thomas is a really good player. I believe it. He's uh he, he's an interesting guy. I mean, I'll, totally off topic here, but uh, I, I he, his story of playing hockey is nothing like yours and I's. I mean, he lived in a apartment growing up and there was it's, one it's rink amazing and, what he's done and there was uh, an apartment there's like 300,000 people in the town one rink and yep. that's and he became a professional hockey player it's still staggering how that happens yeah, yeah he uh he uh great guy great I was yeah I, I always I, I I'm just so impressed with him as a person and uh um great guy great great youth coach great career um uh, so, so we're very fortunate to have Thomas play in our event. All right. Uh, well, this has been uh, fantastic. The, the, the Herb Brooks Award you wanted to ask Yeah, about. That, was, that was the last thing. So uh, I covered the high school hockey tournament. I've been covering ever since you guys have been handing out this award. Yep. Every year, I swear to you, it's like a moving target for me who to, yeah. who's going to win, right? But it I'll is. never forget, you're going to love this one because it's a Saint, there's a St. Thomas catch to it, right? Um, uh, we're watching. My son and I are watching. I can't name the year A.J. Reed played at St. Thomas, but it's just whatever year it was. And I knew A.J. was an unbelievable kid. I knew his dad really well. And I'm Football like, player, right? right? Yes, Alan, right? Alan Reed. Alan Reed, yeah. So we're, <laughs> we're watching the game at home. It's Saturday afternoon, and it's third period. And I think it might even went to overtime. I think they won in overtime. And I look at my son, and I go, I got it this year, Jake. Is it's going to be AJ Reed, and you walk out on the ice and and you give him the award or whatever, and my son's like, "How did you know?" You know, and I'm like, "Because there's just I, I figured out your for, at, some, at some point I had figured out the formula, right? You know, yeah. of these kids. But but can you reveal kind of how you guys do this? Because yeah, it seems yeah, like good. how did they yeah. pick Jack Jensen to win it? How they yeah. know what a wonderful kid this was? Yeah, you know what I mean. How do you get that right? And and then it's literally sometimes it's right on the spot, right? Like it's right on the spot with Matamidi winning it this year, and Colin Hankstrom, and he gets to get the award from his buddies uh, Tommy and and uh, what's the other Paradise? Joe Paradise. Joe Paradise. It was pretty so, cool. Yeah. So so remember when I told you the story how I came back and played for Matamidi Bantam yeah. that one year? Yes. But Steve Hankstrom, his dad was my D partner. No way. So, so here's how this goes. So long story short, so this came about the idea of the Herbrooks award came the year after my dad, the first state tournament after my dad died, my dad died in August of the first state tournament. Um, Lou Catronio. Do you know Lou? No. So Lou Catronio, longtime coach of St. Paul Johnson, uh, very, very good friends with my dad um, and worked for the Minnesota state high school league uh, back then came to us with the idea and lobbied the tournament to have this award. Right. And so that's what it is. So, so there, there is a committee of about 12 people. My sister and I are on the committee. One thing that people don't understand, Kelly and I, we don't pick who it is. We're just one voice. Okay. Okay. We don't make the determination. So there's a committee every year. Each coach nominates a player. Yep. And has to fill, you know, answers these questions and writes, you know, a long, basically dissertation on why their player should win it. Okay. Very and cool. And then what it's become, 
the the committee and I get involved too. We all debate who should win it. And a lot of these coaches now, now it's become a really big deal to win this thing. And a lot of these coaches realize it. So it's like these coaches really lobby hard for their players. And so the committee during the state tournament, we all determine who that person is going to be. And we don't really make the final decision until, you know, if, if the person is playing in the game, we, we're not going to, you know, make the decision before the game and have that kid go and like, you know, spear someone in the neck. You know right. I mean? So we have to make sure, you know, if the kid is playing in the championship game that all is, so it kind of comes down to like five minutes left in the game or like with the double a winner, you know, who wasn't, who wasn't uh, uh, in the state championship game this year, you know, that, you know, he was determined kind of before the game even that's, started. But, that's why this is such a movie that for yeah. me, it's such a moving target. Cause all of a sudden hoodie kid comes running out and gets yeah, the award. I'm yeah, like, yeah. so it's all, it's not, it, it doesn't, it's not necessarily a, a kid on the right, ice. Right. Um, it seems like it, it seems like typically that's what happens. Yes. Colin Hagstrom, Colin Hagstrom, <laughs> it was his before he scored the game winning goal. Oh, um, it just so happened he scored the game. So this okay, all right. Now that you can reveal it, right? Does if if they take fourth place, does he still win the award? Yeah, he does. Okay, all right. That's yeah. <laughs> that's awesome because it's like, yeah. how does this always happen where the kid is in the game? You know, it just yeah, it's just well, and a lot of it is a lot of it is that ki- the kid like Jack Jensen. A lot of it is what Jack did as a captain with that team who were kind of underdogs, what they did in the tournament, get them to the final losing overtime against Edina when no one really gave them. So it's like that, that effort in itself was worthy of the award. You know what I mean? Well, well let me take this a step further. I'm not sure how well, you know, the scenario he played youth hockey with all of those kids until he yeah, was in ninth I grade. Didn't. So to lose to them and to say what he said after was one of the more magical. He goes, I have to tip my hat to the guys from Edina. These are, you know, it was so classy, so well done. It's tough, especially how many times we've given it to a kid like Jack, who's on the losing end. Yeah. And like you walk on the ice and you, I can't even look on that side to see the (laughs) agony of defeat. And then, you know, then the kids oh, got to come up and just, talk in front of oh, statewide it just, TV. It just breaks your heart. But, you know, here's why the committee is so great. Um, and I commend them because if you look at, you know, now we've got 60 some kids have, that have won this. And if you look at what these kids have done now, now adults, what they have gone on to do. It's special, isn't it? Absolutely winners. Great citizens, great people. Um, and it's a huge deal. So anyways, that's the, that's the story of the award. I love it. I, I I'm always like at the, on the edge of my seat. I, I'm very involved in the. We should get you on the committee. Oh yeah, I love that. <laughs> 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 um, uh, I'm also involved with the producing of the all hockey hair video, which gets announced. Little, it's literally if you if you're watching TV and you're on the internet, literally 
within 20 minutes of each other, they all happen, right? The team right, wins right. a state tournament. The gloves are flying off. Kid gets yeah. the, uh, you know, they do the medals, and then you go get on your phone, and there's a, literally this year we had a music malfunction with with this year's Hall of Hockey Hair video. And uh, literally I missed the entire third period. I don't even know who won the award this year. I literally, I, thankfully I got a good staff that were covering the championship. I'm like, I had to leave the building to fix the uh, audio error in the video. So it's, right, it, right. you know what I mean? Uh, like people don't understand like this all there's a sequence of all these things happening it's and it's it's frenetic right yeah yeah so i don't you know a lot of the our committee is has has a a kind of a closer pulse on what's going on and you know they're closer to the coaches this year than than me you know i'm kind of out of the loops right you know but every once in a while i'll know someone this year i really because i i've known colin hagstrom and i know what a quality kid that is that he is and, and what he's, you know, broke his leg this year. Yeah. I'm like, I went to the committee and I'm like, guys, I mean, this is a no brainer. This kid's got to get the award. And then he gets the game winner, right? And then he gets the game winner. It's just, it's you, you, this is talk about Disney. I mean, that's a, that's a Disney movie right there. And so you know? the, the golf tournament, you know, every, you know, we, we have all the award winners there and they all play in their same group. So we'll have, that's super know, cool. Yeah, yeah. That'll be good. That'll be good. Oh, that's great. This this was a great time. Um, I was really, I've this is the first time I, I told you this, first time I've been nervous to do an interview, not because of you, but like if I screw up the interview, like Herbie's going to make me do Herbie's or something yeah, in no, heaven no. when I get there. Oh, yeah, interview with Danny wasn't so good, young man. Yeah, you know, no, that no, kind no. of it thing. Was, uh, I could go on and tell these stories. It's uh... Well, you you know you know you're you're a hockey guy. You know all this stuff. It's been a blast, and uh, huge thanks to you and our sponsor, La Lotsa Matza Pizza, for bringing us today's. If you're in the COVID nineteen, you're go out to the grocery store, check out Lots of Matza Pizza, half pound of cheese on every one of those pizzas. Huge shout out to you, uh, Dan. Thanks for your time and uh, making me a smarter man uh, as far as the game of hockey is concerned. Love it. Thanks right. for having me. All right. Uh, we'll be, we'll be yeah, back again tomorrow here on the Lots of Matzo Pizza Pod. Uh, thanks again to Dan Brooks for joining us today on the Lots of Matzo Pizza Pod. <laughs>